welcome to It's a Scary Life. I am Melody, your host, and this is my always delightful co-host, Ellen. Hi. <laughs> we are recording on a Tuesday night. Woo, I got fed. Oh, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> I got my reward pizza before. Oh, yes. Yeah, mostly Excellent. because we have to be quiet pretty much immediately after recording, because Evan has D&D. Yay! Uh, <laughs> also joining us is our co-co-host, Greta the Cat. Yes, Greta Queen the Greta. Greta. Which I realized while editing in our last episode, we weren't actually recording when we had mentioned that we were in Ellen's apartment. Oh yeah, that's why the sound was, sound was like that. Sound was a little funky. Mm-hmm. I forgot central air can affect stuff. <laughs> Welcome. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was just a, it was something I forgot to factor in because I do not have central air in my Chicago apartment. <sighs> yeah. Well, you get to, you can control your own air, which is good, but. Not the heat. Oh, fuck. Yeah, it's a steam system. Oh, I remember from last winter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I do have a space heater in case I need it to be hotter, and if I need it to be colder, I can just open a window for a minute. It's Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is, that's very true. It sure fucking is. Uh, <laughs> so, are you excited for today's episode, Ellen? Yes, I'm sorry. I just burped into the... That's all I got. Cool. Yes, I am. I was told that this is the fun, spooky one. Spook, spook. And not about dead children? No death. What? No death. What the fuck? I know. This is very... I'm giving you a big treat this week. This is unprecedented, <laughs> dear listeners. <laughs> yes. No death in this one. Fantastic. I'm very excited. Treat, treat. Are there are there, are there ghosts, <laughs> vampires? You know, we're unsure of what actually is happening. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm very here for it. it. fun. Okay. I feel like I should say at the outset... I believe in ghosts, but I think that a lot of what people call ghosts are not ghosts, but spirit, but like spirits and energy and stuff, like something that has like cohesed, but was not once just one person. Yes. um, Energy built up in the collective consciousness. Right. And so I think a lot of ghost hunting shows are dumb as fuck. Oh, super fucking stupid. Have I you like seen it. Ghost Adventures with their dumbass little machine that comes up with random ass words? <laughs> It's the dumbest thing in the world. Any electromagnetic energy can come up with a dumb word with a machine. You oh, of course. Dipshits. Of course. <laughs> I mean, I think my favorite is there's this one, I don't know what it was, but basically, like, this guy comes through each house and is like, and he's like an ins- a house inspector. Yeah. And so he's like, okay, so it's cold in here because you put a dresser over the vent. And it looks like there's writing on coming through the walls because somebody painted over old paint. And so you're seeing that come through. And I like, like that. yeah, no, it's great. So I knew that show. Yeah, I don't fucking remember what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, sh- it should pop up. Yeah, hopefully. It's, it's fun. Uh, listeners, if you know what the fuck I'm talking about, because I obviously don't, email us at it's a scary life at gmail.com. Yeah, or get us on a Twitter. Are we on Twitter? Yeah, we're on Twitter. Instagram, Excellent. it's a scary life. Facebook, it's a scary life. Excellent. Yeah, we're easy to find, guys. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I would like to start us off by thanking you again, the listeners, for giving us a chance. We're just, I'm at least I'm very humbled by your listens, and I'm sure Ellen is. I'm super excited. Yeah, and the reach we seem to have gotten over these past months, it's, you know, been truly wonderful knowing there's people listening across the planet. That's so cool. <laughs> um, I can't even 
process that fully. Yeah, y'all, y'all are really listening to this podcast at a time where the learning curve is really curving. And I appreciate you. <laughs> um, so I've learned a lot about sound engineering and still so much to learn. And it's just really awesome knowing I can put out final products of what we record with the imperfections and still have people out there that want to hear us. It's pretty cool. Um, Absolutely. So for our episode today, my sweet Ellen. Um, when you say that like that, I get worried. Is one you've been waiting for. A proper haunting. Hell yeah! So not only is this a haunting, but a poltergeist meaning a haunting is not of a place, but of a person. Hell yeah! Who's the unlucky sucker? So we will be rolling back to your favorite time period, the Victorian era, to discuss the story of a haunting that to this day has no explanations outside of the paranormal, despite being one of the best documented instances of a poltergeist. Excellent. It's one where a gentleman who went to investigate and prove that the highly sensationalized haunting was a hoax ended up writing a book documenting the plight of a young woman instead. Cool. Northeast to Canada, we mentally go as we discuss the great Amherst mystery and the haunting of Esther Cox. Cool. Yes, you're going to love this. I'm very excited. So for today's episode, we have some really interesting sources. First off, I use The Great Amherst Mystery, a true narrative of the supernatural by Walter Hubble. It is an interesting firsthand account from a man who wanted to prove the mystery to be a simple trick, but could do no such thing. Mm -hmm. Next, I use the coverage from the Nighttime podcast. Nighttime covers true crime and the weird parts of life, just as we do, but for specifically Canada. Oh, fun. Um, the host, Jordan, conducted a couple interviews to cover the great Amherst mystery, one with author and Amherst resident, Charlie Reindress, who is a believer in what happened with Esther, and another with author of Haunted Girl about this case, Lori Glenn Norris, who mm-hmm. is a non-believer. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah, so it's a nice... Um, Balanced. Yeah. Um, what is it called in debate? Something in rebuttal. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I sure did debate for a full semester. Yeah, I didn't, but... Yeah. It was, to, yeah. I, I watched a lot of Gilmore Girls, so I used to know this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do recommend listening to Jordan's coverage of this case, as the interviews were just really fantastic resources and gave a lot of great information that I used to piece this episode together. Um, since I'm covering it this way, you can tell that I don't personally agree with the non-believer. I have my own feelings about that. Her interview just didn't... She gave a lot of speculation about how Esther felt about things. Oh, And her second wave feminism bias was showing. Ah, bless. Yeah, she said Esther had nothing because she, you know, helps out around the house and spends time with the kids. Yep, that's nothing in your life in the Victorian period. (laughs) I mean, that's like... That's everything. You have a family. Listen, what? if you're if you got a if you're out of the poor house, that's something. Oh yeah, they they lived quite comfortably. Okay, yeah, this is fine. They're fine. They're fine. Listen, I am going to go into this fairly skeptical because again, I think the people overdo this shit. Oh, absolutely. However, um, it's spooky season, and we're gonna have some fun here for some some poltergeists. Yeah, yeah, I love a poltergeist, except for the movie Poltergeist because that is actually a normal haunting and not a poltergeist. I have not seen it. Well, we have to watch it. It's a good, it's good shit. You're going to like it. All right. Uh, 
Anywho, so talking about Amherst. Amherst is a town in Nova Scotia off the Bay of Fundy. For those who don't know where that is, Nova Scotia is the peninsula beyond Maine on the North American map. And Amherst sits right on the west side of land that you see sits in between two straits. I promise you, if if you look at a map, that description makes sense. So Amherst nowadays is a city of roughly uh, 9,500 and has the largest population of its region, which Canada, man. Um, Listen, it gets cold. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very cold area, so I get it. It's not going to have large populations, but I can't imagine living somewhere with that few people. Melody's from a city, like an actual city. I'm from a well-sized town, so like I get it. I don't want people in that business. Melody, there were under 300 people in my graduating class. Yikes. I spent most of my graduation going, who the fuck are all these people? Yeah, no, I was like, and uh, we haven't talked in years, but we were definitely in the same kindergarten class. And, oh, look, you're that asshole who did that in second grade. Nice. It was great. Fun. That's weird. It's (laughs) deeply weird. Um, At least for me, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, we had we had some, uh, you know, some uh, Air Force brats in there who like hadn't been there for the whole thing, but pretty much everybody else. You generally know them. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason I don't live there anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. So back in the 1800s, Amherst was a milling and factory town. Mm-hmm. Um, they would build ships, make pianos. There was a shoe making factory. Um, they would. There was a company that made luggage, and they would other places that would manufacture all kinds of other goods. Many of the townsfolk who had gotten wealthy off the factories built Victorian homes that the town is still famous for. Bastards. Oh, but they're gorgeous. Listen, Victorian homes are great. Um, People making money off the mills, like if they're actually making money off of it, they sucked. Oh yeah, if they're making the kind of money where they can build those homes and rent them out, like what happened in Amherst? Fuck yeah, yeah, they're terrible. They deserve a poltergeist, each and every fucking one of them. Unfortunately, Esther wasn't in one of those families. Oh, no. Okay. They rented. (laughs) Like, they were comfortable, but they rented. Right. Yeah. Comfortable to a certain definition of comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, comfortable enough if this didn't all happen. But you'll know what that means later. Oh, God. So, Esther... Uh, Esther Cox was born sometime in 1860, the youngest of six or seven children. Her mother died three weeks later due to illness, and her father ended up remarrying a few weeks later. Oh, how long? How long? A few weeks. It's the Victorian era. No, that's fucked up. Yeah. That's... Yeah. That's fucked. Okay. And after that wife died, he then took on another wife. Melody. What do we know about this guy? He's uh, not here for very long. Okay. So once he had decided to remarry again, he decided to move away with her. And with all of that going on with her father, Esther had been left, Esther, Esther and her siblings had been left to be raised by their grandparents. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So in 1878, at the time that the mystery started, Esther was living with her sister, Olive, and brother-in-law, Daniel Teed. In the house, the three of them lived, uh, with the three of them lived, Olive and Daniel's two young children, a brother and sister of Esther's and Esther and Olive's and Daniel's brother. The Teed home was simplistically elegant, two-story home. 
It had four rooms on the main floor and a bedroom upstairs. Let me take that again. I picture it a lot like the Victorian homes in Chicago. And if you don't know what that looks like, just kind of watch Shameless and picture it slightly nicer. <laughs> like a little tight, but nice if you make it that way. And then right. the outside look kind of nice, actually. Sorry, I've been on a Shameless binge, guys. I've never watched it before now, and it is wild, considering yes. that my, like, instinctive response to Emmy Rossum is, like, Christine Daae. Yes. Christine, Christine, Christine. <laughs> Anyways, um, we're not here to completely redo uh, Santa of the Opera, but we could if we wanted to. Um, <laughs> go on. So Esther was a curly-haired woman with gray-blue eyes. Seems to be a trait throughout her family to have gray eyes. Huh. Her expression was described by Hubble as earnest and seemed to him to say, why do you look at me? I cannot help being unlike other people, which I would say to an observer. I think, yeah, most people would seem that way. <laughs> is this the original guy who like was like, I'm going to disprove this shit? Yes. Where does he get off? <laughs> um, the way men describe women. I hate it. I mean, I'm just waiting for him to be like her. She, she breasted boobily down the stairs. Like... <laughs> <laughs> all right so apparently she has these like don't look at me look at me don't look at me eyes yes right yes and esther spent her time helping all live around the house with and taking care of her young nephews mm -hmm. um and life around the home was just fairly quiet and mundane mm -hmm. at the end of august 1878 esther had a date with a well-known gentleman in the area only this date did not end well. Oh, God. In Walter Hubble's book, the events of that night are described as an attempt at a crime too awful to speak. Uh -huh. So the gentleman yeah. had presumably attempted to rape poor Esther, but truly, we don't know what happened to her that night. We just kind of know she was generally assaulted. Fuck. And afterward, Esther was left in a state of fear and distress, as anyone would be. Yeah, no shit. And she's, what, at this point, like 18? Yes, 18. Uh, yeah. Um, so it was during this period of healing that the psychic phenomena had begun. So before just diving into the mysteries surrounding Esther, I'd like to take a moment to talk about the author who wrote the first-hand account of the phenomena, Walter Hubble. Walter was an off-Broadway actor in New York. Oh, no. While a friend was grieving her mother's death, she had fallen to a habit of seeing mediums to speak with her mother. Walter had become upset with her dependence on the mediums and wrote about how she started showing signs of insanity when he decided to interfere. Being an actor, he knew a lot of the ins and outs of stage design to create effects that could easily fool the audience and felt confident he could spot any trickery in his midst. Walter attended a seance with his friend and was able to uncover the tricks the medium was using to lure his friend in. This sparked a special interest in him sniffing out hoaxes and proving how they really happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was right around the time that the What's-Their-Faces were really popular, the S... Oh, the Fox Sisters. Yeah, the Fox Sisters, but what was that general, the general movement? Spiritualism. Spiritualism, yes. yes there we go. Spiritualism, mesmerism, yeah. it's all hitting its hitting its time unfortunately hypnotism does get mixed in with this which i'm like hypnotism has its place i promise right but it's not in conning people out yeah. of their money yeah it's specifically in psychology and typically with people who already dissociate and so their brain does that on mm -hmm. its own 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I got hypnotized once. Not, like, in therapy, but just, like, yeah. I was definitely still very much aware of what was going on, even though they were like, go to sleep. And I was like, no. <laughs> um, I mean, most people are still kind of aware while hypnotized. It yeah. depends on the person and their thresholds. Yeah. It was fine. <laughs> it was deeply boring. Um, but yeah, anyways. Yeah, so Walter was part of a theater company. Uh-huh. And that had brought him to Nova Scotia to perform their show. What show was it? I actually don't know. There was no... Yeah. Okay, so it, probably, it was probably very bad. <laughs> <laughs> so while there, he couldn't help but notice the coverage of an outrageous story in the newspapers. Some stories celebrating the story as true, others berating the family for cooking up a hoax. They told the story of a girl who was being tortured by a devil. She and her family were plagued by the spirit and knew no way out. This story piqued Walter's interest, and he decided to go to Amherst to expose the hoax for what it was. Once he got there, he convinced, uh, sorry, apologies, correction. <laughs> okay. He had corresponded with Daniel Teed ahead of time to allow him to stay in the house and record in the beds as he saw them. So these journals composed of interviews with the family about events prior to his arrival and a record of events that he had witnessed became his only known work that has ever been out of that has never been out of print. The Great Amherst Mystery, a true narrative of the supernatural. So the haunting started off small. Cool. As they do. A week after her assault, Esther thought she'd felt a mouse run across her in bed and screamed. Yep. She and her sister Jenny, who shared a bed with her, scrambled to turn on their lamps and search for the offending mouse. When they could not find a mouse, Jenny told her she was being silly to be afraid of a lily, silly little mouse anyway, and that she could see it had retreated into the mattress since she could see movement in there. So she was like, it's fine. So Go Jenny can see this too? Yes. Okay. That's important because trauma can do a lot of fucked up shit to your brain. Yes. <laughs> that, that, is, that is what I'm going to say there. That is my point of skepticism going forward. Exactly. Is that trauma does some shit and... Yeah, the you whole cope family, how you cope. The whole family experiences thing. As long as people okay. in the town, it's yeah. Okay, because I was saying there I was going to say notarized like, documents of this. <gasps> I read yes. notarized documents. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and there, and and we know that their flower was clean and wasn't being mixed with like with like hallucinogenic. We're not totally sure about that. Okay, we're it, not, it was probably we're not totally just, sure about the food, but it was probably just plaster anyway. Yes, ew. That's what they, I mean, they would put a whole lot of shit in bread and you'd put it in every part of the process because in the Victorian era, the big thing was to have white bread, like the most processed fl flour possible as a, as a sign of wealth. I know. I just, and so of course, uh, you know, people are adulterating the, the flour and then the bread at every stage in the process. In many ways, Victorians killed themselves by Ellen. There, oh, there's, <laughs> there, there's this really great series, um, Hidden Killers of the Blank Home of various historical time periods. It's based on, like, British history, mostly, but yeah. it is fun and on YouTube, and yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's fucked up. Give it a watch, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, the next day, um, Esther began to experience a mild fever, and on the first night of her fever, Esther sprung out of her bed, exclaiming that she was dying. Jenny was convinced that she was just in the middle of a nightmare, and scrambled to turn on a, lamp, on a lamp and called out for help. While waiting for help, she could see that Esther was standing totally at alert, 
and was pale and her hair was standing on end. Yeah. Which again was rather short, which by Victorian standards is apparently shoulder length. It's very, it's pretty long hair. No, no. (laughs) Just because you had, listen, shoulder length is nothing. Like your hair is medium length hair. No, it's not. Nah. A hairstylist would call it medium. Okay, we should note that Melody's hair hits right about her shoulders. I have curls. There is shrinkage. It's yes. technically to my nipples. Oh, no, absolutely. <laughs> like, your hair definitely could go down further if you so choose, but it looks real cute like this. I, however, have hair that has at times gone down to my butt. Yes. And so I have standards. She can sit on her hair. Not anymore. I trimmed it. Oh, Yeah, by trimmed, I mean I hacked four inches off. Um, Anyways, go on. So, um, um, where was I? Hair standing on us. So, several family members showed up in the room and saw the state that Esther was in. And she began to lose strength to hold herself up. Esther was assisted back to the bed, and she was sat down. While sitting at the edge of the bed, Esther began to scream and tried to get up. She was put back in bed, and her family witnessed Esther's body begin to swell, and she screamed. Wait, what? No, go back. Yes. So, when you say swell. Literally swell. Just ballooning, like, like, violet. You're turning violet, violet. Oh, my God. Swell. I'm not a doctor, but I think that's fucked up. Yeah, spontaneous swelling is not a medical condition. Um. Good to know. Good to know. (laughs) Did anyone try poking her with a pin? Uh, she was hot to the touch. Well, yeah, she had a fever. Yes. So, well, this was uh, ungodly hot to the touch Ooh. while swelling. Um, like, you touch her, it burned. Mm-hmm. So then the family heard a loud noise and then that they thought was thunder, despite the fact that there was no rain out. Excellent. After the noise, Esther went back to her normal size and she started to calm down, easing her to sleep. There were several more raps at the same of the same noise before the family realized it was coming from underneath the bed. The family was unsure of what they had witnessed or what had happened to Esther that night. Can I go, like, get a blanket to hold or something? Yes. Okay, one sec. <laughs> oh, okay. It's scary story time, and I, it's dark out, and I feel unprepared. Okay. Ellen has her blanket. Excellent. So all was quiet for four days after the incident, and the family had agreed to keep the unusual night to themselves. Then on the fourth night, Esther had another fit. This time she had been able to lay herself down before she started to swell up. The girls' bedclothes had been ripped off the bed, and Jenny had fainted from the shock of the bedclothes being torn away. Yeah! The family once again heard the rapping sound coming from underneath the bed. Olive attempted to cover the girls with their bedclothes again, but they were ripped away and thrown into the corner by an unseen force. The pillow under Esther's head then went flying across the room. Again, from under the bed, there was loud rapping sounds that banged several times until Esther had gone back to her normal size, and it all ended. What the fuck? After this night, the family decided to have a doctor examine Esther and sent for Dr. Karit. When Daniel had described what the family was experiencing, the doctor had laughed and assured him that tomfoolery like that wouldn't happen in his presence. God bless this doctor. Imagine getting <laughs> Imagine getting up in the morning, going to a house, 
And like with your full on Victorian bullshit medical degree, which let's be real, was just like you cut up a few dead bodies that were gotten by grave robbers. Yeah. Like had been told to like douse people in opium or whatever. And give people heroin. And laudanum. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like you, you have your tools, you have your little black bag, you're good. Yeah. You walk into this house and they're like, so she was swelling up. She was all this shit yeah. going on. Like. They didn't pay him enough. No. I'm sure he was probably a quack, but like they didn't pay him enough. Oh, goddamn. (laughs) So that night, Dr. Curry arrived at the Teed home at 10 and examined Esther, who had been in bed since 9. As he was doing his examination, the pillow under Esther's head began to move from underneath her head, all except for one corner. And then it moved right back underneath. Fuck that. That that is the point where you're like, nah, man, go see a priest. And this was only the beginning of the doctor's experience. This was when the banging sounds had started again. The bedclothes once again were taken off Esther. The doctor, convinced he could best whatever was happening, tried to hold the pillow under Esther's head. Shout out to this dude. Her family followed suit and did the same with her bedclothes. This was to no avail as the force moved the items from underneath their grips. The fuck? During this incident, something new had happened. There was a scratching sound, and causing it were the words being carved into the wall above Esther's bed that read, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. I knew you were going to love this. (laughs) That is so... Okay, the fact that this has happened to it, that this is allegedly happening to a a fully traumatized young lady is fucked up beyond belief. Not unusual within the paranormal. People who are going through extreme trauma tend to attract a lot of it. No, yeah, exactly. Um, But, like, that part's not the part that I'm excited about. Like, hell yeah. Yeah. Words being carved above the bed. Like, goddamn. Right? What a good haunting. Deeply shitty. Deeply shitty. Exciting. Hell yeah. So exciting. Hell yeah. Okay. Dr. Kareep prescribed Esther some sedatives for her nerves in an attempt to treat whatever was happening with her and at least calm her down. Here is some laudanum. Just fucking go for it, ma'am. Honestly, he may have gone straight for the heroin. Hell yeah. Like, but, you know, the phenomena kept happening. Fuck. After this night, the spirit became more emboldened. As Esther would go about her life, things would mysteriously move, even in broad daylight. People would have items fly at them for seemingly no reason, and the family had come to the revelation that the presence was aware of the family's speech and movements. When the topic of the spirit's awareness had come up, it banged three times. The doctor, who had happened to be around in an effort to care for Esther at the time, asked the spirit if it could hear them, and there were three more bangs. The family then started asking questions, learning that the spirit would do three for yes and one for no. The family tested the responses, asking how many people were in the room and received five bangs back, one for each person sitting there. Fun. The doctor then asked, do you want to kill Esther Cox? And the bangs answered, yes. After this interaction with the spirit, the banging inside the house had become so frequent and so loud that Esther's neighbors began to wonder what on earth, what was going on at the Teed home. Excellent. Because her neighbors and people passing by could hear the banging at this point, the newspapers had caught wind of the haunting. Ah, fuck. Okay, so just to clarify, these people are comfortable but not wealthy enough to have paid off half the town. Yes. 
They are wealthy enough to have paid off half the town? Yes, they are not wealthy enough. They are not. Okay, cool. I just want, I just, I just am curious if they could pay off an off-Broadway actor and, like, a few of their friends. Because if that's the case, one, if that's the case, they wouldn't It have. would be quite difficult because, I mean, nearly the whole town, including people from surrounding areas, would come visit and witness. Yeah. Did they charge anything for people to come look? No. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Still suspicious, but less so. I think they were mostly hoping someone would have a solution. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, yeah, the newspaper had caught wind of the haunting. And people in Amherst would come to try and see out of, you know, curiosity. And it's the Victorian era. There's no movies. There's no TV. This is entertainment. (laughs) I mean, even nowadays, I feel like. Oh, yeah, absolutely entertaining. There'd be a live stream. Yeah. People would really want to watch it. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so religious leaders would had visited the house to find out if nothing was going on or if they could see if they could help with things mm-hmm. and would interact with the banking inside the home. More people from town came and saw for entertainment once the ministers of the town or once at least one of the ministers of the town seemed to attest to the spirit haunting poor Esther. Mm-hmm. Many of the notarized records from the event come from interviews of these looky-loos. The house would often be full, sometimes with spectators trying to see what would happen in their presence. Some people would have atoms fly at them. Others would be able to hear the banging and speak to it. Cool. Esther once put a bucket of water on a table and it began to boil without heat. Walter Hubble himself witnessed chairs move when he was alone in the room with Esther and found no rigging to make the chair move. Yeah, and I mean, they're renting. They wouldn't be able to put in, like, movable floor pieces. Yeah. He'd be able to see that. Yeah, he'd be able to see a lot of shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, So about three months into the haunting, Esther came down with diphtheria and had to be housed in a hospital. Good. During her four weeks in the hospital, Esther was relieved of the haunting and the many ways it plagued her. This could be because for most of that, she was probably near death. Yeah. It wants her to die. Yeah. Um, but and, it could point to locational stuff. Oh, we'll see. Oh, God. But unfortunately, that wasn't the end. When Esther is well again and returns to the house, not only does the haunting continue, but Kip sit up a few notches. Fuck. Esther began to hear voices and can communicate with them. Yes. One day, Esther had heard a voice say that it was going to burn down their house. One of the men in the house, who had been convinced that all of the haunting phenomenon was just, you know, electricity, which the tea <laughs> home did not have. They didn't have electricity. No, I get that, but like... The Victorians and what they thought electricity could do is real cute. Oh, God, that's beautiful. I can't explain it. This must be electricity. Yeah. I mean, in fairness. Yeah. Sure. Go Although their minds would be blown if they knew we now heat food with electricity and can just have a full meal that way. Oh, like microwaves? Yeah. yeah. Probably. Below their fucking minds. I mean, the fact that <laughs> we are both wearing pants at this point, I think, would uh, shock people. Show them an ankle, maybe a titty. <laughs> a whole titty. Actually, the ankle might be more shocking. True. Yeah. Yeah. And he had said that only a bolt of, anyway, this family member who believed it could be electricity. While this home did not have any electricity hookups, they relied on lamps, uh, oil lamps. Mm -hmm. He had said that only a bolt of lightning could set fire to the house. And after this, a lit match had fallen from the ceiling onto the bed. And Jenny rushed to put it out and then 
The lid matches kept falling from the ceiling for about 10 minutes before it simply stopped. So, uh, I get that they're renting. Yeah. When is their lease up? Because, <laughs> like, <Soon>. cool. <laughs> At what point do you go to the landlord and be like, so? <laughs> so, we're well, going. Yeah. Well, I mean, the escalating mysterious behavior did, didn't stop there, though. <laughs> I know, but I feel like at this point you try. Uh, you try to move. You try to get out of the location where it seems, to, especially since it wasn't happening at the hospital, like you try and get to another location where maybe, yeah, you know, just, you know, toss they, some salt water at Esther and, you know, see what happens. Yeah, they try a few things. Yeah. So one night while Esther was in bed, one of her dresses was hanging on the back door or the back of her door, and then suddenly flew across the room into a corner and combusted. Hell yeah. When members of the household worked together to get buckets of water onto the flame, the dress would one again, once again combust and create a flame that threatened the house, while also shaking the floor beneath their feet. After about 10 minutes, this too finished. Soon after, there was another event that threatened the home. One day, Esther had noticed some smoke coming out of the cellar while with Olive. Olive went downstairs to inspect what was happening, and a box of shavings had caught fire, and the cellar was filling up with smoke. The two women called out for help, and a man who happened to be walking along the road came in, put out the fire for them, and then simply left, which is the most mysterious part of all of this. You put a fire out, and you don't say anything, and you leave. I mean, if it's Weird. the wood shavings, if it's from, if it's like, it's obviously from the wood shavings box, like, that to me is more mundane. True. Like, that, like, shit happens. The mysterious dude is weirder in this. (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes sometimes somebody's doing some shit, and you're like, my work here is done. And you leave. That's a smart man. Yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) I know. It it reminds me of this Nick Cage movie Evan and I watched recently. I have to look up the title again. But basically, he's silent for most of it and killing these weird possessed animatronics i'll i'll look it up and i'll let you know what it is because it's a good movie you'll like it okay um even if i am not overly fond of nick cage it's a fun movie okay okay it's fun shit i watched national treasure at one of my more pretentious phases so uh i was an asshole as a child i love me some nat treasure listen i like it as an adult but as a kid i definitely was like this is historically inaccurate yeah that's the point yeah i know that's the point I get it. At nine, <laughs> or however old I was, like, I was still in my, like... Oh, I know. People yeah. get uppity about that with Wild Wild West and then call Matrix the best thing ever. And it's like, just because it's set in the future doesn't make it more realistic yet. I mean, so Wild Wild West is, like, it's... It's a fun steampunk hell of a cool. time. It's also, it's also, like, obviously steampunk in a way where, like, National tre- Treasure yeah. is, like... What if? Conspiracy theories. And it's like, fuck yeah. you. Fuck you. <laughs> Give me my giant weird spider. Any day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Back to Esther. Yeah, this poor kid. So Esther began staying away from the teat house, as it seemed to be the only solution the family had. Smart kid. A man named John White offered to help the family by letting Esther stay with him and having her hang around the restaurant he ran during the day to keep an eye on her. Unfortunately, Esther had been attacked at the restaurant. John's son had been fiddling with his penknife, and it flew across the room into Esther's back. <gasps> the boy grabbed his knife and tried to put it in his pocket, and once again the knife moved on its own and found its way into the previous hole it had made. 
the look of amazement on Ellen's face is truly priceless right now. I wish you all could see it. I mean, this poor kid, this poor, these two poor kids. Yeah, she just got stabbed. She did just get stabbed, and that's horrifying. Um, But it's so exciting. Yeah. What a haunting. Yeah. This is fun. So at this point, Esther moved back into the Teed house, joined Mm -hmm. by their newest visitor who wanted to write about the family's experiences with Esther, Walter Hubble. Excellent. So immediately after Walter Hubble moved into the Teed house, he started to experience a present that sought out Esther. He set his umbrella down after entering the door, and it went flying across the room. He later lied down in the sitting room and had a paperweight fly at his head. His experiences with Esther range from banging to fires to items moving on their own. Hell yeah. He thoroughly inspected the home and was able to determine there were no tricks or traps to create the banging or fires or movements. This was when the focus of his book shifted from debunking to maintaining a record of what was happening prior to his arrival and as he lived in the home with the family. At this point, though, the landlord had become exhausted with all the attention on the home and the destruction that the haunting was causing with items flying around and fires that the Teeds were not allowed to renew their lease. Okay, listen, usually I'm like, all landlords are bastards. (coughs) And some of us just get lucky to have, like, semi-decent bastards. But, like, I feel this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Please, please, please leave. (laughs) Um, So Walter Hubble went home to write his book and stayed in touch with Esther. Esther stayed with with the Van Amberg family on the outskirts of town. She had hoped that with leaving the home, the haunting would once again cease like it did when she was in the hospital. But it had followed her here as well. The voices would communicate with her still and would steal items from homes of people Esther knew or that the Van Ambergs were neighbors with and hide them in the Van Amberg home. The voice one day told Esther that it would set fire to the barn And when it did, Esther had gotten charged with arson. (sighs) She served four months for arson, getting out early for her sentence in her sentencing. I didn't see any records of what her actual sentencing was, though. Yeah, okay. Esther, upon being released from prison, saw a medicine man who was able to free her from her spirit that was tied to her. Oh, nice. Good. Esther shortly had gotten married after the haunting ended. That husband died and she married an American. Esther moved to Boston, where she died at 52 of natural causes. And that there is the story of the great Amherst mystery, Ellen. I'm, I'm glad she got rid of it. Yeah. Like, I'm really glad. That makes the rest of the story better. Absolutely. Like, she figured out, oh, I should just maybe go to a witch? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot, a lot of this can be explained by them paying off a lot of people, but they didn't really reap any benefit. Yeah, they didn't. They weren't collecting money. Walter Hubble was the only one collecting money over it. Um, Esther mm-hmm. did later do some a tour with Walter because he was hoping the phenomena would just kind of like come back and he would be able to show people, and it never did. And that I think is. she mostly was just like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> free trip. Free trip along for the ride. Yeah. It's something to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there are a lot of theories about what happened. Of course... Back then, people blamed electricity and magnetism. Like, she had, like, (laughs) somehow she magically had some type of magnetism. That's why things flew around her. It would definitely explain the knife. (laughs) That's true. Some people believe that Esther had psychic abilities, which had gotten triggered by the trauma. And as she healed from it, it went away. 
the technical term that people use in the Paris um, para psychosocial oh. world is recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis. So it's um, psychokinesis is basically you can move shit with your mind, right? And then recurrent spontaneous would be like Esther, or if you think of Carrie. Oh, okay. The movie Carrie, where she yeah. gets upset and suddenly shit starts moving and she's mm-hmm. not really controlling it, but she's kind of aware that she's controlling it. Right. And we don't get to see Carrie actually redeem herself. Sorry, I, I see her as a tragic hero. You need to, okay, one, you need to finish Carrie. What? It made me sad. I know, it's it's a really depressing story. Yeah. Carrie is a very tragic hero and, and she's a victim of circumstance. It is. No, 100%. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I was definitely watching I started watching it during the pandemic and I was like it was it it was a victim of my pandemic yeah reluctance to watch certain types of movies that of course shifted and stuff during various phases of the pandemic which is still ongoing get yeah. vaccinated friends yeah it's not all possible get fucking vaxxed and if you're yeah. offended by me telling you that go fuck yourself get fucking vaccinated and maybe understand that like you don't understand that science do you are you someone who studies vaccines professionally or did you in school maybe you should listen to the people who did study it Hmm. there's a reason that we as a society have different people who specialize in different things i would not want an immunologist to like come and like fix my leaky faucet i want a plumber someone who has specialized i mean and is Unless an I know in... that that particular immunologist is just handy. But right, but in that case, you know that that's another situation. niche thing that they have done. Yeah. It's not just like, you know, jack of all trades, master of none type thing. Like, but better than, than a master, master of, of one. one. Right. But, but it's that kind of situation. <laughs> it's like, listen, you have certain things that you have specialized in, whether it's like certain aspects of the restaurant industry mm-hmm. or, you know, like... Old English. I don't know. Whatever your fucking thing is. Yeah. And maybe, and it's okay if some things are not your thing and you need to listen to other people about it. We live in a fucking society. Yeah. It's part of being a society, guys. Yeah. Anyways, that's our little PSA. Yeah. (laughs) You can get Fauci on the podcast. (laughs) I would cry. I would be so happy. We don't need to. What spooky? What what like horrific shit would we have to talk about? Um, probably. I mean, we could talk about the Spanish flu pandemic. Yes, sir. I thought we I, could talk yeah. about HIV. Yeah, I, that was kind of my thought. That's, like, uh, when I studying the HIV epidemic was when I fell in love with Anthony Anthony Fauci. Fair enough. And I was like, yes, man who just uh, graduated number one in his class at Cornell Medical School. I will listen to anything you say. Yeah. About medicine. I don't I don't know what it is like with, you know, plumbing. <laughs> again, again, like I wouldn't trust Anthony Fauci to True. like with I mean, anything. Today I had an excellent plumber come in and he did his thing and it was great. Yeah. Fucking love being a part of a society. It's great. <laughs> I would do badly living in the woods without support from other people. Mostly mm-hmm. because my eyes suck. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would die because I wouldn't see something clearly enough. <laughs> anyway. So. Yeah, anyways. Um, go get Vax. Co- yeah, go get Vax. And a couple more theories about what was going on with <gasps> yes. Esther. So some people theorize that it was hypnotism. That Esther was somehow using hypnotism to hypnotize every single person into thinking that these things were happening. At 18? 
Yes, and although this is a really, really, really great explanation for the Amityville Horror, which... What? The Amityville Horror, you haven't... Okay. It sounds familiar, but... Um, basically, there was a murder in a house, and then a family moved in, and they experienced a haunting. I'm using quotations, but no one else has ever had any issues in that house since. Okay. Yeah. Maybe they just sucked. Um... <laughs> Oh, no. I did watch a documentary that was an interview with one of the children, actual children who experienced oh, it. Oh, they were kids. Okay. Never mind. And he had stated that his stepdad had books on hypnotism and mind control in the basement. He referred to the basement as his office. Mm. And so I'm thinking he probably, I, I think there's a strong chance that he used different types of mind control hypnotism to try and fabricate a haunting and become famous because George made a fuck ton of money. And that's Amityville horror for you. Okay, fair. But yeah, I don't, I just, I don't believe Esther was hypnotizing people. It seems a bit much. Difficult. It also Too is many like people. After, well, well, not even that, but just like after a trauma, like what, like what we are assuming she suffered. I don't think an 18 year old is going to go to the library and figure out how to hypnotize people. Yeah. That doesn't seem like or a even if she had done that prior to, it's just, I don't see an 18-year-old successfully being able to hypnotize that many people. I mean, you know, she might be, you know, psychically whatever. Oh, yeah, she might be. Mm-hmm. She could be a witch. <laughs> uh, yes. Made a deal with a black peak. Listen, if a goat asks you for something <laughs> other than food or scritches, don't fucking do it. Listen, hail Satan. No. Listen, do it. Live deliciously. Deliciously? Deliciously. Deliciously. Live deliciously. Listen, I... Goats are fine. Hail Satan. Uh, Satan can go fuck himself. I, I, I mean, I... I see Satan as a symbol, so more so when I say okay, Satan fair. than anything like, else, because I do identify as a Satanist more so, Satanic Temple than Church of Satan. Or okay. Symbol. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Still, goats are good for one goat meat, two Ew. goat cheese. Goat meat is delicious. Goat meat is so chewy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you stew it nicely, ooh, it's like chewing on fat. Yeah, buddy. Ew. Melody and I have very different tastes in meat. Oh, it's such a texture. It is such a texture. I can't. I love the texture. Oof. <laughs> Getting off a of goat meat. Um, goat cheese is good, though. Goat cheese is excellent, yes. Yeah. And goat milk is fine. Mm-hmm. And they're cute. Like, they're cute. They're assholes, but they're cute. Yeah. Have you seen the ones where they have to, where, like, if they're, like, being too violent, they have to, like, put little, like, pool noodles on their Yes. I want to watch The Witch, but where, like... He has the pool noodles? He has, nice. like, some, someone has CGI'd the pool noodles. But back to the last uh, theory about Hester. Lime green pool noodles. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> With the color scheme the movie had? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that'd be great. <laughs> or hot pink. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyways, back to the final theory. Yeah, so the final theory is... Probably one of the obvious. Mass hysteria. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of people are kind of lean towards that, especially for people who are denialists. And I say denialists, not skeptics, because some people call themselves a skeptic and then go, no, that's just not real and don't want to listen at all. Mm -hmm. And some people are skeptics 
that's just being a denialist. Being a skeptic is being at least open to seeing what the thing is first. Right. Like it could have been a, it could be like a legit poltergeist thing. It yeah. Sounds cool. Yeah. Um, it, but like, yeah, but I'm there, there's a reason that I was questioning earlier. Like, do we know what the harvesting practices were for their wheat? Where were they getting yeah, their flour? Exactly. Like it's, you don't want to have a Salem witch trial situation going on where exactly. it's like a bunch of teenage girls high off of the, you know, the hops yeah. and the flower. Well, also just other fungi. psychedelic. Yeah. there was general fungi in there. Yeah. Yeah. Crop. Exactly. Like the brain is a delicate instrument. I like the dancing plate folks. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> Can we talk about them one time? Sure. Yeah, dancing plague. Yeah. Uh, I Talk about have... mass trauma and mass hysteria. True. Yeah. Yeah. I think it didn't it happen during the hundred. Anyways. Yeah, at some point in the eighteen hundreds or early nineteen hundreds. No, this this was earlier. This was like during the Hundred Years' War. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, trauma. There have been a few dancing plagues. Technically. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, we can. Uh, that was the Esther story of Esther Cox. Cool. Great. Glad she uh, glad she was able to uh, rid herself of whatever the fuck that was. Yeah. I'm happy I was able to give you some proper spook. That was so fun. Oh man, I love. I my favorite is still just like the writing on the wall, right? Just like the visual of that that I get from that. I'm just like the lines and the. Yeah. It's kind of like when you see the blood in like Chamber of Secrets. It's like <laughs> hell yeah, we're spooking. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. I'm glad that uh, she um, got rid of it, got married, had like a cross-country tour or some shit. Yeah. Hopefully got paid. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, good deal. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, guys. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this absolutely zero death <laughs> episode. Yeah, zero death. Total Just space. this once, Rose. Everybody lives. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope you all... Enjoy your Halloween, your Samhain. Hell yeah! Your Dia de los Muertos. Mm-hmm. Um, your other harvest festivals at this time that There's I do so not know the title. Fucking harvest fest are. coming up. We're harvesting everything. It's great. <laughs> also, go get therapy. Go get therapy. All right, guys. Love you. Bye.